Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the BM Cast. Not a podcast that promises to reprint fetches and then only put them in as box toppers, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined by the foil magpie herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? Doing alright, can't complain. In terms of Magic, I haven't done a whole lot to be honest. I've picked up some shiny mm-hmm. cards for Commander, picked up the last nice. few bits for Double Masters before the set just shoots up in price because that's what I anticipate. Mm. I picked up a foil yeah. walking blister, a Ooh. foil full art crop rotation because the art is really nice on that, and also yeah. a foil full art council's judgment because that is really, really cheap and it probably shouldn't be. So I, I felt like I'd pick <laughs> one up just for future commander decks. In terms of non magic, I've been painting Warhammer. If you've seen on Twitter, I've got, you know, mm. trying to get paint all over myself at the moment. Um, <laughs> and besides that, I've wrote up an article about budget elves, which would be live now when this episode goes up. So feel free to check it out. How about nice. you? Nice. I've been good. I went to a friend's house last night to play some Commander, which was very much needed. It was a long and stressful week, so definitely needed to blow off a bit of steam. And I got started on an Adelie's Wizard Tribal deck as well. We've been putting that together. So very looking nice. forward to getting that into sleeves to, to throw out a couple of games with it. But outside of Magic, I've been just losing more in Fall Guys. I just still <laughs> haven't been able to win because I am but a humble bean and I just cannot win. But it's been fun. Yeah, it looks really sweet. Yeah, it is. It's infuriating, but also fun, I guess. Yeah. Mm. i also got into print and play board games so basically these are these are games that people have designed and put up on the internet so that you can download print them off for free and just play them like board games you can play them there are solo ones that you can play by yourself or ones you can play with a couple of people or whatever but they're all free which is absolute stonks it's nice it's really sweet i'll have to check that out yeah and what else has happened this week oh yes right (laughs) previews as always we're back in preview season it's evergreen in (laughs) magic the gathering (laughs) preview season is an evergreen mechanic yeah yeah on the plus side though like once you get over the fact that you know we're, we're gonna get burned out by all of these announcements and all that sorts of stuff we are getting some pretty exciting stuff i have to say and i think i'm gonna have to take a second here and have a talk about a card or, well, more a, a cycle of cards, I yeah. think, that people are sleeping on. Yeah. And they are the new dual lands. Somehow, for some reason, people are saying that these new dual lands aren't all that good. Excuse me, have you all read them? They all come in untapped forever. They are never going to come in tapped. They will tap for one of two colors, which to me is perfectly fine. There have been several times where I've played Is a Phoenix, for example, right? Now, I know yeah. I could be biased because it's it's Phoenix and all that sorts of stuff. But there have been so many times where I've cast two spells, my second spell being an opt. I'm scrying. I see, like, a temple. And I'm like, no, I need to put that to the bottom because if I rip an untapped land off the top, I can play it, cast the third spell, and get my Phoenixes out of the bin and win the game. And then I bottom that Temple of Epiphany, and then I draw a Spiral of Canal. And then I have to put it in to play tapped. And I'm like, well, I can't cast my third spell. Oh, well, ripping peps. I don't get my Phoenix out. I die on the crackback. Oh, well. But with this, this always comes in untapped. Mm. I, to me, they're better than Fastlands. Now, that's, that's a statement I know to some people. That's, that's definitely a statement. But what are your thoughts on these, Emma? So I'm a big fan of, I'm going to call them the flip lands. I don't know if they have like an official name, but I think these are really good. Because, as you say, they are untapped 
dual lands. What more could you want? Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of people are sleeping on them. And I am very, very surprised because I think they're going to be played in multiple formats, um, probably like Standard, Modern and Pioneer, and probably Commander mm. as well, actually. I can see see them being played a lot in Commander. Oh, for sure. Saying that, I am I don't often pre-order cards. I am tempted to pre-order one of each for future Commander decks because I think they yeah. are underpriced at the moment. Oh, massively. They're, like, in Euro prices anyway, they're around €3 Euros each. And in dollars... They're pre-ordering of what, like four or five dollars? Yeah, so I had a quick look on CFB, SCG, and Cool Stuff Inc. while we were chatting about it before we recorded, um, mm-hmm. and they're varying between five to six dollars depending on the color pairing. Um, it looks like the mm. Is it color pairing is the most expensive, which is often true, going by as always, yeah. as always like with Steam Vents and uh, Spy Buff Canals being quite expensive. I think Fiery Islet's mm. the only exception, just because of Sunbeck Canyon yeah. in Bern. But otherwise, these feel really undercosted, so I'm just tempted to pick them up before people realise that they're good. And I think a lot of why people say they're not good is because they just haven't played with the with the cards yet. They don't understand how it works, like the whole flip thing. Yeah. I think once people clock onto that, mm. they'll be like, okay, this is really good. I need to pick up a load of these. And then demand will hopefully shoot up. So you can you can feel really smart yeah. and pre-order some and be like stonks. I got these when they were like three years each. Um, you too can have stunks. Yeah, I'm tempted to try a couple of modern bogles because I run oh, yeah. I run razor verge thickets and you can get to four lands in bogles and sometimes it is relevant and just drawing that mm. razor verge thicket can just be really rubbish. So I'm going to try like two of these and see how I do. Absolutely, I'm just going to buy the full place out of the Izzet ones. Um, I'm also tempted to pick. I'm going to pick one of each up because they might go in my peasant cube. I know they're rare, but they're just really cool mm. lands to have in a peasant cube because having good land options is quite difficult to come by at that at a common and uncommon rarity. So this will help quite a lot. Yeah, I mean that's fair. Yeah. Plus, it's your cube. Do whatever you want. Exactly. And the full arts are amazing. They are. They are beautiful. If you haven't seen the full arts of the flip jewels yet, go and have a look at them. They are just. Absolutely beautiful. There was something there, Emma, that you touched on, and that was that I think it's you, you said it's because people haven't played with them yet that they mm. don't realize like how they are going to work, and that is influencing their demand and their their price right now. I think that applies to one of the other things that people are talking about right now as well, which is the split spell and land cards. Yeah. So if people haven't seen this, if you somehow have managed to avoid spoiler season up until this point. They are spells that cost a little bit more than they usually would. So say like there's a transgress the mind effect that instead of costing two mana, it costs three mana, but you can alternatively play them as a land that come into play tapped. So people are saying like, oh, do you, do you like replace your spells with these or do you replace your lands with these so that you can run lower lands and have more gas or what? And honestly, I think the answer to that question is it depends on the deck. But for the most part, um, based on what we know of like game theory and magic theory and all that sorts of stuff, it's probably better to just replace your spells with these because the last thing you want is to just not draw your lands. And, you know, when you do draw your lands there, you look at them and you're like, am I going to cast a spell later or am I going to make my land drop now or what's going to happen? Like you just nearly always just replace your spells with these, they're slightly more inefficient, but they're going to like prevent you from um, from screwing. And, you know, like it, it's just going to overall increase the, the consistency and the 
the smoothness of your deck, yes. I think, for the most part. Yes, I'm a, I'm a big fan of these. When I look at new sets, especially, I'm always interested to see what mechanics they bring to mitigate feel bads. In this instance, it would be mana screwed. No one likes to be mana screwed. Yes, you have a slightly expensive option. Like, for example, there's a free mana regrowth coming out, mm. but it's, it's got a land stapled on the back. And that seems really, really cool. It just, it just gives you options. It kind of reminds me of Adventure back in Eldraine, where you could have yeah. this option to play it as a creature, or you have this option to play it as an instant and play it as a creature later on. Um, it's just a really yeah. cool way to get more mileage out of, the, out of your cards in your deck. So I'm quite excited to see how these play out. And not to mention as well, like the land side is quite important because we're in a set where landfall exists. So you could play the land side it. and it might trigger something. So it'd be really interesting to see how people play these out. And I'm pretty sure that people will misbuild their decks for the first few weeks while they get their oh, head around God, yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think there's I think there's much more depth to these than the simple, oh, do I play a land or do I play a spell kind of thing. There's so much to it. Even in the limited environment, mm. there would be so many different decision points to make based on, do I want to play a land and trigger, like you said, it'll trigger landfall or do I want to impact the board with the spell on the other side or whatever. There's just so, much, so many options. Not to mention that most of these lands come in tapped as well, so it can be a tempo thing. Um, it seems that the mythic mm. ones are the only ones that can come in untapped by trading free life, which seems fine as well because life is a resource. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to see how these play out because I think from a new player perspective, these are going to be really cool. Absolutely. Uh, I think... We're not going to go too much into any of the specific cards here because I think we're going to do a separate episode where we go through the interesting budget pickups and that kind of thing. We'll be doing that shortly enough. Mm. Um, so we won't touch on that here. However, what we are going to do is we're going to jump over to the meat and bones of the episode, which is Q&A. We're doing a Q&A episode. This is, I suppose, an anniversary episode? Tenth episode? Yeah. Right. We're big enough where people want to ask us questions, so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, question one is, uh, why are you guys still going? Uh, <laughs> uh... <laughs> Next question. Uh, <laughs> would you, would, no, for real, for real. Would you like to take the first question, Emma? Of course. Um, so... Aaron Adams asks, this is a pretty big question. It's very broad in terms of budget. He asks, oh God. building on a budget, would you recommend sticking to a colour or would you rather stick to a deck idea? So would you rather pick up something like Tron, Bogles or an Artifact Synergy deck? What would you do? Or what would you oh recommend? God. Yeah, it's a pretty broad one, isn't um, it? Yeah. All right. Well, I'll start with this one, I guess. Um... So when it comes to this question, the answer is it depends. It depends massively on the situation. The answer to this is there is no straight up answer to this, I think is, is actually the real answer. But to go into a little bit more depth and to give you, you know, some snippets of information or something. Some of the ones that you mentioned there, like Tron and Bogles and stuff, you have to be able to work out, can this actually be built on a budget? Because if that's the kind of thing you want to play, like if you're rocking up to modern and going, I want to play Tron, you know, you got to look at it and go, does Tron fit in the budget? Like it doesn't necessarily have to have all the current liberateds and, and worm coil engines and all that stuff and Ugans, but it needs to be able to have the Tron lands, the ways to dig through the deck to get Tron and then be able to fit some sort of large game ending threat at the top end, like say Mirror Battlesphere or Sundering Titan or whatever it is. 
something big and and game ending or game altering uh, if you can't fit that into the budget then maybe start looking at something else but if you can then you could just build it up over time like you're gonna lose some games because you don't have your ugin or whatever but eventually you'll get it and it'll be fine when it comes to sort of looser strategies like i i I know it's pretty much a set deck list when it comes to something like Jund, for example. Like, there are set numbers of each card that's in the deck and everything. But it is a looser idea because it's basically mid-range, you know. So, you can start with budget, green, black, mid-rangey kind of stuff. And, you know, have a couple of reasonable lands and some cheap spells like Eliminate and Fatal Push and that kind of thing. And... Have some cheaper threats like your favorite Emma Putrid Leech, and, oh boy, <laughs> and just and just take those things and build it up over time. And Emma's articles, she has a lot of these where she goes into this, and and you take it from a from a a, a budget shell, and you slowly add things in order and mm. over time. That is a good way to do it as well. And what you'll notice with that one is red isn't added to it until near the end. So in that situation, you can pull a color away. And start with green, black, and that kind of thing. Mm. Technically, I would say technically, you could actually start the green, black, rock, jund thing as mono black, where you still just have like discard spells and then you just have some threats, like say, I don't know, Gurmagangler or something, and just build it from there and then add green so that you can then add your, your lands and your abrupt decays and those kind of things. And go from there. So, like, you can absolutely just keep stripping it back and back and back and back. It will get to a point where it's so budget that it's potentially unplayable when it comes to, like, competitive metagame or something. And if that's something that is a problem, then that's probably not the right strategy to pick up Mm. at that time. It really does depend on what you want to do with the deck. And it does differ from deck to deck as well. Yeah. This is a really tricky question because there's just so many ways to answer it. When we talk about budget magic, it is varied on person to person. Like everyone has different levels of income, everyone has different accessibility to cards. So there's mm. not really a blanket answer. However, what I will say is the hardest part when you come into say modern from a budget perspective is identifying what what you like playing. So are you yeah. an aggro player? Are you a control player? Are you a combo player? Are you a tempo player? Mm. Like there's so many things to look at, and I. Th- I think that is the hardest bit where people just fall into a trap going, oh yeah, I'm just going to play this, I'm going to play that. And then actually they don't enjoy it and they've lost quite a bit of money on it. And that's hard to recuperate, especially if you're on a budget. So what I recommend doing, if you can play Paper Magic, I know that's very difficult right now, is maybe borrow a deck from a friend and just try it. Like Mm. just something just completely different. Just try it because you might like it. And if you don't, you kind of, you are closer to identifying what you like to play. The other, which is one I recommend doing right now is either just grabbing like a mana traders account or a card hoarder account and just doing like a month subscription, pay like $20 a month, however much, and just play loads and loads of decks in like the friendly channels and leagues. And then you Mm. just get an idea of the deck without putting too much money into it. And then with that information, you can go, yep, I want to build Mono Red Prowess or I want to build Mono Green Elves or I want to build Blue Black Mill. Like that gives you a really good idea of where to go. Yeah. If you know what you want to play, that is a lot easier. However, if it is something like Golgari Rock or Death Shadow or Jund, um, you will have to make some sacrifices to begin with because it is impossible to build like a, a competitive Jund deck 
for under a grand. Yeah. It's just, that's just the way it is, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, you know, Putrid Leach does a really good job as a Tarmogoyf for so long. Um. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I will add to that is, this is going to sound a bit weird, but it was something that I think Emma Handy had said on Twitter during the week, but it was about the type of decks that you play. And just because you think of yourself as like a control player or you see yourself as a combo player or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that that is the kind of deck that you're going to do best with. Mm. And I wholeheartedly agree there are a lot of people I know that are like, oh, I'm a control player through and through. And like, I used to think I was a control player through and through. And then I realized that I'm actually just way better at like combo and tempo game than I am at literally anything. Like you hand me a mid-range deck and I'm like, what is this? I can't. But you hand me a combo deck that's like real convoluted and I'm like, oh, I'll have it worked out in like five minutes and it's fine. You know, you might think that, oh, I want to play Junt. You might think that, but you might actually just be like one of the best Gift Storm players ever. And you like, unless you try it, yeah. you won't know. And I think that's one of the things that like the, the Mana Traders or Card Hoarder accounts would be really, really good for is you can just rent a deck for like a day and just be like, oh, I'm just going to try this out and see how it goes. Try different things. Try things that you didn't even think that you would like, like. I ended up buying Mono Blue Tron and Paper because I really, really enjoy it. But I looking at it, I was like, no, no, I wouldn't like that. But I tried it. I was the same with Bogles. So I came into modern playing John Burn of all things, which is a super niche burn deck. <laughs> it runs Bump in the Night. It's really good. Um, mm-hmm. And then I jumped onto Eldrazi Tron, which was like my first modern deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to play Eldrazi Tron at, at an F&M because I played it quite a lot and I just fancied a break. And so I was like, oh, I've got Green White Bogles. Would you like to play? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, it's completely different to what I play. I'm not I'm not an aggro player. I'm normally the ramp mid-range player because I, I play a lot of Tron as well. And um, so, yeah, I yeah. played Green White Bogles. I went 3-0 and I'm like, mate, this is great. I don't have to think. I just got put some stuff on this thing and then just turn sideways. <laughs> it's great. And, and then, then I bought the deck myself because I really enjoyed it. Yep. So, yeah, just don't don't be picky or don't be stubborn. Just kind of play whatever that comes your way and you might even come up against a deck that's like really rogue and you're like oh this is sweet i want to pick it up and you just try it out and again you might be the best pilot you know you just don't know until you try i think that's what holds a lot of people back so just be just be creative and be very open to just trying new things you can learn quite a lot yeah be open-minded Try out a few different things. Proxy up decks, by the way, if mm. you are playing in paper. Proxy up decks. Literally just, just like turn basic lands or draft chaff over, get a Sharpie and write on it, Karn Liberated or whatever, and just sleeve it up. Like if your friends are really friends, they won't mind trying <laughs> it out with you, you know? It's, it's important to just try these things because one important thing about budget content and stuff like this is you're valuing what you have. You're valuing the money that you have or the, the investment that you're looking to make. So why not just do a little bit of this homework before committing to anything? You know, it's it's really simple. It's usually free to mm-hmm. just proxy up a bunch of stuff. So just try it out. Be open minded, I think, is yeah. is the thing. Also, with that, yeah. uh, just on our last note, because we've this has been a really long answer. And um, the last <laughs> note is uh, if you do try different decks, just open minded and proactively, you actually end up being a better player long term because you yes. are accruing this incredible card knowledge of modern, which rewards you for knowing various decks and different kinds of cards um you'll become a more well-rounded player because you know how to attack these decks because you played it yourself so it just it just creates this encyclopedia of you know what are the key cards that you need to deal with and like how to approach it 
you might lose a lot to begin with just because you're not experienced but over time you'll just accrue this knowledge and then you'll just start winning because you just know what the opponent's doing it's, it's yeah. a really good thing to do for sure yeah mm. all right well Ooh. Shall we go to the next question? Yeah, this is this. Like, we've got some really long questions. <laughs> just a theme, it seems. The next question comes courtesy of Stanislav, who's co-host of the Dive Down podcast. You should check it out; it's great. It is. It is indeed. If you're listening, which I hope you are, hello. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell my wife I said hello. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a really good podcast. I would highly recommend listening to it. Um, mm. They are they're sound sound folks, and they know what they're talking about. Um, unlike us, unlike me, unlike me. <laughs> uh, but Stanislav asks, do you have a preferred budget deck for situations where your goal is winning, as opposed to situations where the goal might be learning or testing cards? Maybe another way to look at it is, do you have an opinion on what the strongest budget deck is in competitive formats? This is a really good question. I really like this one. Mm. That can vary just depending on... So mm. in regards to the modern metagame, that can change so often. It's not. It seems pretty settled at the moment, I would say, just leading up to Zendikar release. Before, like, one week Hardened Affinity would do really well. The next week it would be Amulet Titan. And, you know, you'd have this back and forth, you know, of various decks just trying to trump each other. I mean, right mm. now, like, Modern Red Power seems the best budget option because it's just so quick and it just goes under so many decks. You can build it quite aggressively priced as well. So like the core of Mono Red Paris is so cheap. The only thing that you really need to pay for is the Horizon Lens, which you can get away with. And you can get away with with a couple of season pyromancers as well. And you can you can do quite well in like an F and M environment because you just, you know, going Mm. off of Monastery Swiss Bears and Soul Scar Majors. I also think it kind of depends and I think this is actually going to touch back on our very long-winded answer uh, that we gave to the last question which is it depends on what kind of player you are as well mm. because i could tell you now if you handed me mono red prowess i happen to own it and have a lot of reps so i would do pretty well with it but given the choice between mono red prowess and say twiddle storm in order to win more games i would find it hard to choose between the two because twiddle storm is absolutely like a tier four fringe brew kind of deck mm. and monorail prowess is pretty much tier one but i'm better at piloting something like twiddlestorm than i am at piloting monorail prowess so it is all down to what your expertise is like there's no way in hell i'm gonna hand tron to like a burn player for example and be like this is what you need to win this is the best deck right now you need to use this and take like if they're just 10 times better at burn than they are at tron just let them play burn they'll probably win more games if you are pretty well-rounded you know then at that point it it goes more down to what you were saying emma which is it depends on the week really definitely in modern anyway um it depends on the week and if you can pilot it well enough then yeah, you, you'll rack up wins with Modern Red Prowess or, or whatever it is. If I was going into an event absolutely blind, like just say like I wasn't looking at the modern meta game for the last like two weeks, and there's this really mm-hmm. cool modern event in a non-COVID environment. There's this really cool modern event that I want to play, and I want to do really well, but I'm not loaded with cash, so I can't play something like Jund or Tron or anything like yeah. that. I would just probably take Mono Red Prowess blind because usually just playing an aggro deck in a blind environment is quite good. Your games end pretty quickly and you can just go under a lot of people. 
Um, it's very yeah. rare, especially recently, that aggro has been bad. Yeah, yeah. Generally speaking, yeah. I think just going in blind—that's that—that's something I would do. However, Tron is my option for that. I know Tron's not not a budget option, but yeah. if yeah. like if I was going to say a like a team modern event or like a GP or something like that, I would just take Tron because I'm I'm really good with it. I know what to do. And it's just got episode card quality, so it's just always a good contender in modern. Yeah, yeah, Tron's always good. Um, But one thing I've noticed is Tron is actually dropping a price because of Double Masters, because it was basically Tron Masters. So it might start becoming a budget option, potentially, in the grand scheme of things for modern. Ironically, I believe Stanislav has started picking up Tron because it's so cheap now. It's not a terrible idea, (laughs) to be honest. Um, But yeah, in terms of that, I would just pick up Prowess if I was just going in blind and I had $100. You should be like, yep, yeah, just pick up all my lightning bolts and stuff and just go to town. Yeah, I think uh, I think the fact that it's monocolored really lends itself yeah. to uh, to budget, particularly in modern, um, mm. I, in most formats, really. So for Pioneer, it's a little different. I would probably still just suggest some form of mono red. There are a couple of different versions. There's like a slightly bigger, not quite chunky red, but there's slightly bigger red. And then there's like a smaller, more prowess kind of build. Mm. One of those is probably fine, but if I had to go in blind myself, knowing the kind of stuff that I'm good with, I would go in with a Is It in Soul deck. Ooh. Because there's nothing wrong with putting an in Soul artifact on a Darksteel Citadel. There's just, there's an elegance to that, you know? Just hit them three times with this and then shrapnel blast your face. Like, it's it's easy and it's good, you know? That or... Maybe like Lotus Fields. There are Lotus Field combos that are still going and they're still pretty good. And some of them are as low as like $120 thereabouts, Mm. which is pretty decent. You know, so that'd be another call, I would say. It'd be, yeah, Mono Red, Insole Artifact or Lotus Field combo thingies. There are other budget options, but I don't think they would really line up well with pretty much anything else. And then, yeah, what are the standard What's in standard right now? I don't, honestly, I don't think... Monored. When it comes to standard, I can't really give you a whole lot on that, mostly because we're going to rotate any day now. So go for cycling. Go for, yeah, Ooh, go for Boro cycling. You can pick it up out of a draft chaff box and, uh, and, and just run it back. You'd yeah, be good. that'd be good. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a good question. We could probably revisit that question every like six months or so and we might have a different yeah, answer for it. It's an interesting correlation because everyone assumes budget is not competitive where it can be depending on other variables, of course. But like a really good example in recent times is Mono Blue Tempo mm. in Standard. That was a $50 deck oh, yeah. and it won a Pro Tour. You know, so you're talking to me about one of my favorite decks of all yeah, time right now. Keep so going. Good. Keep talking. <laughs> I think that's a great example where you could like similar to, to similar to what you said about cycling. It is essentially a draft chaff box full of really good blue tempo cards. So mm-hmm. yeah, cheap can be competitive. I think it's a bit of a misnomer that people assume that yeah, I I can have this fifteen hundred dollar John deck and I have no clue how to play it, so I, I assume it's going to be good because I've spent all this money on it. It's a, it's a really bad yeah. assumption that people make. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then we've got another question here. Mm-hmm. Would you like to ask away? Yep, so this is from Grant. Um, he asks, how do you mitigate for budget decks spiking in price? Uh, for example, Mono Red Hollow One back in 2019 used to be budget <laughs> until Goblin Law spiked up to $25. Uh. I remember yeah. that time. That time was great. Oh. I, just, I remember watching that Pro Tour and it was just really sweet just to see Ken Yukihiro just 
go off with Hollow One. Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing the MTG Goldfish Budget Magic video for Mono Red Hollow One, mm. and within, I'd say it was about three days of me watching that video, Goblin Lore spiked yeah. and went up to the you know the twenty five dollars. I was so sad because I saw it. I was so excited by it, specifically the mono red one, because it was just dumb. It was just draw and discard lots of stuff. And it was so good. And the whole deck was like $80 or something. And then it just turned into 200 for the, the non-competitive budget version. And I was so sad. I was mm. so sad. I was raging I didn't order those Goblin Lures when I had the chance. But yeah. On the plus side now, though, they are... Only like a dollar fifty each. Yeah. But that's mostly because Fateless Looting is banned and Hollow One is unplayable. Yeah. So <laughs> But going back to the question, how do you how do you mitigate like a card spiking in price in a budget deck? How how do you combat that? Replace the card. Yeah. We'll I mean well here's the thing. If there's something that's close to that card, mm. then the card isn't gonna spike in the first place because people will just use one or the other and it's no big deal. The problem is when it's a card that does one specific unique thing, someone finds a way to break it and then the price skyrockets because it's the only version of that card. So it is unfortunate in the Monored Hollow one kind of thing that you can't really replace that like at all. But I guess now it's kind of okay because you can use something like say like Thrill of Possibility, which is fine. It's not too bad, but you can add, say, like the Storm Herald combo into it now, which is which is kind of cool in modern. But um, yeah, it's it is unfortunate you can't really do anything about it because spikes are often caused by unique effects. You know, there's no other card that will do the same thing. Demand and competitive success lends to it as well. Yeah, if a card does spike like that, replace it with something that is significantly worse because yeah. it is going to be significantly worse, or probably go look for another deck which sucks if it's something you have your heart set on it sucks but as someone who has very regularly looked at decks and gone no that's not my tempo that's not me i can't play that to then trying the decks and going oh crap i like this (laughs) you know (laughs) to to nearly any deck nearly every deck every non-euro deck sorry nearly every non-euro deck that i've picked up just to try i've ended up liking so you'd be surprised like you, you'll you'll get over it quick enough i guess in a way sort of yeah <laughs> people always say that whenever you're unfortunate enough to have say like a like a pet pass away or something usually the the easiest thing to do to help get over it is to get a new dog get a new yeah. pet deck yeah i guess <laughs> it's not an easy answer is it um it's either no. that you, don't, you wait until it goes down or you just find something else in the meantime. And if you really want to play Magic, probably finding something else to play in the meantime is probably the best way to go about it. Yeah, that's it. All right. And then the next question we've got is from Craig. And Craig asks, when you're trying to make a non-budget deck into a budget version, what is the first place you look to for cuts? And conversely, what is the last place you want to compromise for price? This is a good one. Mm. Um, yeah. So I'm going to answer this from a from what I do at TCG Player. So taking a mm-hmm. established build and kind of trimming all the the, the expensive stuff and making it budget. And um, the first thing I look at is the most expensive cards and whether I can find a placeholder on those cards. So we mentioned it yeah. earlier. So a good example of this is Tarmogoyf, which is a modern staple. 
don't get me wrong, it's really cheap at the moment, but $35 each can be quite a lot for some players. Oh, absolutely. So in the meantime, I picked Putrid Leech, which is this like 50p uncommon slash rare, I can't remember its rarity, that does the same thing, but you're saving so much money. It's like $2 for a playset almost. And Believe it or not, it is a common. It's a common. Okay, okay, I was completely it is a common. wrong. I have played that improper before, <laughs> much to my detriment, but anyway. Feels like it should be a rare. Um, <laughs> But yet, with something like that, I just cut out the most expensive cards and go, can I still build this without these expensive cards? Um, certain decks mm. can do that, and certain decks can't. So stuff like Golgari Rock, yeah. you can do that because you've got Putrid Bleach for Tarmogoyf, you've got Davriel, that's a good replacement on Liliana of the Veil, and you've got some like Golgari tap lands that can replace like Overgrown yeah. Tombs and Blooming Marshes. When it comes to stuff like Ad Nauseam, that's where it gets really difficult because... Mm. Yes, Ad Nauseam saw a reprint in Double Masters, which dropped that price really low, which is great. However, there's a lot of other cards in that deck that are still quite expensive that you really can't replace. For example, like Pact and Negation, you can't really replace that card just because it's so unique and the zero mana is really relevant given what it's trying to achieve. So, And if you take that away, you're taking away the whole core of the deck and then you don't have an Ad Nauseam deck anymore. So it kind of depends on the strategy in most cases yeah for sure for sure like you said it can definitely vary on deck to deck like we do some things similarly emma i think Mm. and then some things differently like i would definitely look at some of the more expensive cards and try and find placeholders and stuff but it would get to a certain point for me anyway like if i was to try and make a budget version of jund and i'd end up cutting it back to green black like you did as well I would, instead of looking for replacements for things like Tarmogoyf or whatever, I would just try and find the best possible cards to fit in the deck mm. at that point. So just to use this one, for example, for Green Black Rock, I would start looking at the, the different threats and stuff available and I would go, Gourmet Angler, mm. we can make that a one mana 5-5. Five five. That's the closest Goyf impression that I can find. How do we make that possible? And then I would start to run other cards like, say... Uh, Seder Wayfinder and stuff to help put stuff into the graveyard and find my lands and that kind of thing so I can make sure I hit my land drops, I can make sure I fill my graveyard for my super cheap Goyf impersonators and that kind of thing. And then, you know, you can run the usual like Fatal Push and Eliminate and all that kind of stuff. And I would absolutely go about it that way. Now, it is a different deck, but in that kind of situation, it is still at its base the same kind of idea. It's a disruptive Mm. mid-range deck that still plays really good cards at every point in the curve. That's the kind of way that I would approach it that would be a little bit different to Emma's. Neither way is wrong, neither way is right. It's just whatever works for you, I think, is the best way. When it comes to the last thing that you want to compromise on for price, we're going to say this a lot, (laughs) but I think think anyway, it really depends on the deck. Yeah, Ad Nauseam and Amulet Titan are really good examples because you can't cheapen on on the cards that they use because they use them for a particular reason and that's why it works so you can't really have like a budget alternative on primeval titan because it does such a particular thing in that deck and it needs and it needs that card to function um so in some cases it's really really difficult often it's it lays more on the on the combo decks because Mm -hmm. they work with the particular cards but yeah it's, it's 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 a hard one um but when it comes to like modern staples you can easily 
kind of find budget alternatives and stuff. So like Tamagoyce and Lydia and the Elves. Even stuff yeah. like Force and Negation, you can probably find a decent alternative. Like Archmage's Charm's a good one instead of yeah. for Cryptic Demands and that kind of thing. And even in the case yeah. of Fetchlands, you can just not run them in most cases and just kind of accept that, you know, you're not your filtering's not going to be as good, but you're saving so much money. Yeah. And when it comes to some of the more expensive cards, particularly in modern and that kind of thing one of the reasons why they're so expensive is because there are no suitable replacements mm. you know like take ensnaring bridge for example ensnaring bridge is actually kind of cheap at the moment mm. thanks double but, yeah it, but in my opinion it should be like five dollars yeah. the reason that it's not cheaper is because you can't have a budget version of ensnaring bridge it just doesn't exist there's no other card that has an even remotely similar function the closest function to that is languish or a sweeper of some sort mm. like there's no other way to stop creatures attacking you so yeah it's all situational but i think if it comes to you building like a mid-range or, or a burn deck or that kind of thing you can you can definitely sort of fudge it out and kind of throw in things that work generally but uh yeah there are some things that just can't be taken out but i think if you understand that the compromise you make will affect your win ratio and you know you're not going to have the yeah. same success as you will with an optimize list i think you'll be fine you just have to work a little harder for your wins um because you don't have the optimized tools yeah. And to be honest, the more people think like that, the more normal budget magic becomes. Yeah. And absolutely. the more accepting that people are of like, oh, I don't have that spare 50 quid for an Ugin. So I'm going to run a Sundering Titan instead or whatever. And your games yes. are suddenly much more interesting and different because people are playing replacements for things and, and different options and, and things. And that to me, the renewed variety that you get from budget magic is something that I love about it. That yeah. if I if I had infinite money, I would still build budget decks because Same. they're often way more fun, way more fun. Like at the end, it's a game. Mm. It's way more enjoyable when it's fun, and I often find budget decks to be more fun. The place I wouldn't skimp, however, generally speaking, would be anything that stops the deck from working. Like you yeah. said, with ad nauseum. You know, but for the most part, yeah, you can kind of skimp on whatever as long as it still operates. So yeah, combo decks and stuff like I wouldn't, I wouldn't skimp on past in flames. Yeah, for example, you know that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, and we have another question. I am saying, Mickey asks, what what is the most underrated slash overlooked dual land cycle when it comes to budget options? Check lands. Yeah, agreed. Straight up check lands. Yeah. Like, if you're playing budget magic, you're going to be playing more basics than the average full budget deck. Check lands are going to be great. I think they're closest to the ideal dual land that wizards want us to have. Like, when we talk about what the dual lands were that we want in standard, you know, I think that is a mm -hmm. really great example of it because they are cheap. And in most cases, they do come in untapped because of typing. And it lends really well to yeah. stuff like if you have a couple of shock lands or if you have one of the triomes in your deck, you know, it, it just unlocks so many options. Yeah. And one of the things that I will always point back to is before War of the Spark, back in Ravnica Allegiance Standard, was the last time that the mana bases were check shock. Yeah. Check lands, shock lands. That to me is beautiful for when it comes to standard mana bases mm. and if you if you happen to pick up 
shock lands while they were cheap and standard or whatever and you just have them and you have four shocks and four checks i wouldn't be afraid to run that in pioneer you know i would be like yep this is absolutely reasonable i'll 100 percent run this you know i would probably consider adding one or two maybe fast lands or something similar if you're going into modern but like check shock will cover so so much like if you're running 22 lands and eight of them are generally speaking unconditionally untapped duels because of the way that the numbers work with that that's insane that's really Mm. good yeah check lands are absolutely criminally underrated in my opinion they are just so good so my pick is the pain lands especially the origin cycle because we haven't had the other cycle for pioneer but i really like Mm -hmm. the yeah it would be the enemy cycle of pain lands I am the minority so that believes that all the pain lands should be le- evergreen legal in standard. I, I'd be on board with that, yeah. I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with having good standard mana bases. This is it. Um, we, how many temple reprints have we seen in the last year? And as we were talking about earlier, it really hurts aggro because aggro doesn't want tap lands. And if you just keep printing these to tap land dual lands, aggro really can't yeah. be two colours until Zendikar where it's in these flip lands. But yeah, I really love Painlands. I think they're just a really good way to get your mana. And it also kind of teaches a bit of like life resource management as well. Yeah. And they're a really good placeholder on all the Horizon lands in Modern. So I think they're really good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. I just, want, I just want the other cycle reprinted for Pioneer. And then we can play <laughs> aggro properly in Pioneer and it will be great. That would be nice. That would mm. be nice. Yeah. I, I think if they can just fix the, the mana bases for Pioneer over the next, say, like 12 months thereabouts yeah that'd be great just want the fast lands and the pain lands please and thank you yeah that'd be lovely wouldn't mind that at all so one land cycle that i do also think is very underrated though i don't think you want to be playing many of them at all are the filter lands yes so if you don't know what the filter lands are i'll give you an example say like cascade bluffs so it taps for colorless or you can put red or blue into it to have it then tap for blue blue red blue or red red so it allows you to get awkward mana fixing sorted in your deck like blue moon and stuff in modern tend to run one or two cascade bluffs because you might have to run say like cryptic commands and say like you might need double red on another turn for something else and that kind of thing in my budget golgari rock deck i run one twilight mire just to mitigate the mm. like the mana demands of like putrid leech and abrupt decays because it is quite a mana hungry deck so just having that one option where you can just fix your mana is great you don't want to run too yeah. many because having it as your first sun drop is absolutely horrible and you don't want that <laughs> it's a it's a late game land that just really yeah. helps you with your game plan but yeah i really like these and they've also been reprinted in double masters because we're going to keep going back to that yeah that was mm. a that was a good old budget set all right yeah bm cast approved bm cast approved there is one land cycle that i think you're nearly always better off playing basics instead of playing these and they are the reveal lands you know like the port towns and the game trails and that kind of thing they seem great on paper until you have to have them come in untapped and you just can't do it because you don't have a basic or typed land in your hand Mm. they're pretty rotten i hate them i cannot stand them i like them in standard at the time because they were quite good because you ran a lot of basics um, and yeah. you also had the the tango lands, which really helped quite a lot as well. Yeah. Again, they seem really cool in concept, but it kind of need you need to have like at least two lands, and one of them has to be the correct typing for it to work. Especially yeah. if you're like an aggro deck and you really want to just curve out. I don't call them check lands, though. I call them peekaboo lands. Oh God. Um, <laughs> no, 
I'm not entertaining this. No, okay. <laughs> and then finally, we have one more question from our friend Dan Roberts. And they ask, what is the best chocolate bar and why is it dime? Now, in my opinion, the answer to that is yes. Emma, rebuttal? It's a really funny way to say whisper gold, but that's just me. Thank you for listening to the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com. You can follow us at the BMcast on Twitter, search for Budget Magicast on SoundCloud, and support us over at patreon.com forward slash budgetmagicast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.